In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this text. We thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist. And we thank you for the privilege this morning to look and see what it means to us, Father. We pray for your spirit to direct us and to guide us and prepare us to receive your message, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get into chapter 3 of the Gospel of Matthew, we are looking at the life of John the Baptist, at the ministry of John the Baptist. And we're going to be in this chapter probably for several weeks. We're going to cover it Uh, This morning we're looking specifically at repentance. And over the course of these few weeks, we're going to look at baptism and what baptism actually means to us. Next week, we'll look at Christ's baptism. And then following that, we will look into, as I said, what baptism actually means to us today. What it means to us as a church. Looking forward to this journey. And... A deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation, I hope, for the gift of baptism. But as I said this morning, we're looking at the life of John the Baptist. Well, who was John the Baptist? Well, Matthew tells us, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said these words, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Luke tells us the story in his gospel of how when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, the Elizabeth's baby John leapt in his womb because he knew the Savior was, was near. That's one of the earliest, that is the earliest account we have of the life of John. The gospel of John tells us there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, 
It says, now John, speaking of John the Baptist, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Now his robe and his belt were very similar to what Isaiah would have worn. Interesting to think of that point as he's compared to him. Or Elijah. And he's talking about the food that he ate, locusts and wild honey. I was reading in 1 Samuel this week and it was interesting to see that Saul's armies, while they were on the battlefield, would actually dip their swords in honey to get nourishment. There was a particular battle when Saul gave the command that no one would eat until the battle was won. It was a bad command because it weakened his his army. And his son Jonathan didn't know about the directive. And he actually did eat some of the honey and it rejuvenated him. Just interesting to me to, to see how much nourishment there is in that honey. But that is what we see that John the Baptist actually lived on was locusts and wild honey. That was his diet as he lived his life to serve in ministry to the Lord. Well, this man, John the Baptist, gives the people of this time a command. He gives a command that stands for us today. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does it mean to repent? What does repentance mean to you this morning? As I've told you before, I like to read other translations of the Bible. And one of my favorite translations is the Amplified Version. And I like to call it the, the version full of adjectives. Because within the text of the scripture, the authors added extra adjectives, descriptive words to define words that are familiar to us or that we may want a little more insight into. And for the word repentance in this verse, the Amplified Version gives this description. It says, think differently, change your mind, regretting your sins, and changing your conduct. A lot of detail, isn't it? It's a complete change. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The statement, the old has passed away. What does Paul mean by that? He means the old is dead. It's gone. It no longer lives. It means that you are converted from who you were to who God has ordained you to be. Well, what is the old? It is the flesh. It's what we think of as the flesh as we read Scripture. And we'll go to Paul again. And remember, as we went through the book of Galatians, Last year, we studied this in detail, but if you go to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, going through verse 21, he gives us this list. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. We, in our flesh, are ugly, wicked, vile. But, for the grace of God, we would remain that way. We would not be changed. We would not be made new. Again, in Galatians 5, verse 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. They put it to death with its its passions and its desires. John the Baptist was calling the hearers of his time, us as readers today, he is calling us to turn from the flesh. How do you do that? You can't kill the flesh. You can't crucify the flesh by your own will, by your own knowledge, by your own strength. It's impossible. It is only possible by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. What is this new that Paul talks about? It is a result of the Spirit's work in our lives when we have repented, when we seek to turn away from the works of the flesh. Well, Paul goes on in Galatians to list the fruits of the Spirit, the effect of walking in the Spirit. And it is a beautiful list. And again, it only comes as a result, as an effect of the Spirit's work in our lives. Going back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John tells us and promises that Christ is coming. And he says in verse 11, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That is to come. In relation to the time when John was making the statement that was to come, that has come today. We as believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We have, by the grace of God, by the work of His Holy Spirit, when we have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been converted, we have been made new. John is simply calling the hearers of his time us as readers today who have not come to that point yet, he is calling us to repent. You see, repentance ultimately is a decision. A decision to turn from the flesh, from this awful list of the acts of the flesh that I read. Repentance is a decision to turn from those. It's a decision to think differently about them, to change our minds about them, To regret our sinful acts. To change our conduct. John says, Scripture tells us that John came to prepare the way of the Lord. To make his path straight. That changed mind is a way to prepare the path for Christ in our lives. John doesn't just give this command of repentance, this command to change our direction radically. He gives the why. Why do we need to repent? Why do we need to turn from the things of the flesh? He says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
We're going to look at the story of Nicodemus a little bit. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he answer a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Remember back to Paul. He says, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who embrace and live by the acts of the flesh cannot, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repentance is death of the old man of flesh and preparation for the birth of the spirit man. Yes, that is a new spirit in our earthly bodies and is lived out. And we still have to battle that flesh. But we are changed from the inside out. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do want to do, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. We have a battle within us. It's not that we will instantly, sometimes we do, but it's not that we will always instantly stop committing the acts of the flesh. But our desire will be to change what we do. And as we mature and as we grow in our faith, it will, be, it will become evident in our fruits. John is speaking of a drastic change, a miraculous change. He's speaking of us being changed in the essence of our being. For being simply this natural man who is driven by all this list of sinful desires and lusts. To a person who is driven by a desire to serve God. A desire that is planted planted in us by the Spirit of God. What a blessing that is. Well, after his call to repentance, John identifies Two types of people. I've listed it in my notes as the genuine and the counterfeit. We're going to look at each of them individually and then we're going to look at what it means to us. What repentance means to us. What repentance looks like to us. And we're going to compare it back to these two groups of individuals. Well, first we want to look at the genuine repentant believer. Matthew in this text speaks of many people who were coming to John to be baptized. In chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Another element to repentance is confession. What does it mean to confess? The Strong's definition says to acknowledge or agree fully. Think about that definition a little bit. I think we can define 
confession in different degrees. You say, Kevin, what do you mean by that? Well, the first degree would be that I acknowledge that I did something that you might consider sinful. I acknowledge that I did something that God may consider sinful. Translated into terms, I knew that you didn't want me to do that. I knew that God didn't want me to do what I did because in your eyes or in his eyes it was sinful. And I'm really sorry I got caught. I confess that I did it. But I don't really feel bad that I did. The second degree of confession is that I agree. I confess, I admit what I did was in fact sinful. I knew I shouldn't have done it. And I never want to do it again. That doesn't mean we won't do it again. Remember, we battle this flesh. And we're victorious over it by the work of the Holy Spirit. But true confession that Matthew is talking about that these people did was a confession where, yes, I sinned and I despise it. I don't care if I got caught. The ultimate confession is when you don't even get caught and when you come to the realization on your own and you step forward and say, I have sinned. I have done a wretched thing and I never want to do it again because I love God that much. I love the sovereign God who created me. I love Him too much to live in agreement with something that He calls sin, that He calls wicked, that He calls wretched. The confessions of these individuals who came to John to be baptized confirmed their state of repentance. They were confessing to the sins that they know God calls sin, that they recognize as sin, that they no longer wanted to live in. Because their hearts were repentant. They were turned away from the things of the flesh. They no longer desired to live that way because they were changed. These people understood that they were sinners and they wanted to change. Do you understand this morning that level of confession (coughs) preceded by repentance? That level of acknowledgement preceded by a changed heart. Again, this change is dramatic in every sense of the word. In every fathomable definition of change. Well, that was the authentic. These individuals truly recognized their sin, called it sin, and longed not to live in it any longer. But he also had some counterfeits come down to see what was going on. In chapter 3, verse 7, he's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These two groups of people, they didn't agree on much, but they didn't like what John was doing. And it says in this verse that they were coming to his baptism. We don't know fully if that meant that they were coming to be baptized or if they were just coming to see what was going on. Whatever they were there for, John called them out. He called them a bunch of vipers. He called them snakes. He didn't give them any slack, did he? 
In Matthew chapter 3, verse 27, Jesus calls part of this group, he calls them out even in more detail. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. These Sadducees and Pharisees tried to walk the line appearance-wise, tried to fulfill the law to the letter of the law, to appear righteous, and they were proud of the fact of their righteousness. But again, as we've said before, they were trying to hold on to their positions of authority and power and influence and to acknowledge the message that John was bringing that the Savior was near was going to blow up their world. And John wasn't going to let them stand there and think anything contrary of the message that he was bringing. John tells them, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's telling them, I know you're all about yourselves. Why are you even here? This isn't for you. You don't have a repentive heart. You are serving yourself and yourselves alone. In chapter 3, verse 8, he charges them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Basically telling them, in the state you're in now, you can't do that. And he's telling them, do that, and then we'll talk. Then I'll acknowledge the changed lives, but I know they're not there now. I know they're not there. And he goes on to tell them, by the way, don't think you're getting into the kingdom of heaven just because you're Abraham's descendants. God can make descendants of Abraham out of those rocks over there. It's not because of your bloodline or who you know. It's because you have made a decision to serve the one true God and lay your lives down to change your lives, to surrender your self-centered lives and welcome in a God-centered life. That's the two groups of individuals that John is addressing here. He then gives two warnings sandwiched around the verse 11 that we've already read about what is to come with Christ and the baptism of the Spirit and the baptism of fire. He gives them two warnings. He says, even now the axe is at the root of the tree. Every tree that doesn't bear fruit, remember, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Every tree that does not bear fruit, every dead tree will be cut down. And thrown into the fire. And that's not a little fire that's going to burn out and go away. That's a fire that will burn eternally in agony and desperation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We can't fake it and make it into heaven. God desires for us to have a truly repentant and changed heart. He goes on with the second analogy. He said, His winnowing fork is in His hand. Verse 12. 
That's a statement of, of a practice that we're not familiar with anymore. This winnowing fork is something they used after they had harvested the grain and they, had, they needed to get it separated from the chaff. They would take this fork and they would go into the thrashing floor and they would throw it in the air and let the wind blow the light chaff away and then the grain would fall to the floor and they would do this over and over until they perceived that the chaff was all gone and then when they would gather the grain up and they would put it into storage. Matthew's saying that that's what is about to happen. The winnowing fork is in Jesus' hand and he is going to come into the world and he's going to cast the people into the air And the winds of trial and tribulation and challenges are going to blow. And the chaff is going to be blown away from God's true people, repentant people. And God's people are going to be gathered into the barns. And the chaff is going to be burned and cast away for eternity. Do you see the picture of the human life in this analogy of the winnowing fork? I had read this before and understood what it meant, but as I meditated on this week, I thought, how amazing that lines up with the human life in so many details. Do you ever feel tossed about? You feel like the winds of life are blowing across you and you wonder where you're going to land, don't you? God is carefully casting you up that the chaff can be blown out from amongst us. And although we feel out of control as we ride the winds of this life, we're going to land in God's sovereignty exactly where He plans for us to land. The chaff is going to be cleared from us and we lovingly are going to be gathered into His barns. But we have to answer the call to repentance. The call to a changed life. Will you be gathered up? Or will you be blown away? Do you this morning have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you do, if you profess Jesus as your Lord... Who were you before that profession? And who are you now? Are you a different person? And when I say are you a different person, I'm not asking, do you look different? Do you dress differently? Do you even maybe hang out in different places? Do you come to church now and you used to not? I'm not asking about the external things. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they faked it. They looked, gave the appearance of righteousness, but their hearts weren't changed. Are you a different person? Are your motives different? Are you seeking to live for God rather than yourself? Do you have a repentant heart? You say, Kevin, I'm like Paul. I I desire to do the right things. That's what you're looking for. You see, because before you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you were living for yourself. Ultimately, even in your acts of service, it was so, it was so that others would think highly of you. 
But what motivates you now? Are you different now than you were before? I encourage you to search yourself. I don't ask you these questions to condemn you. John didn't come into, out of the wilderness to these people to condemn them. He came to give them opportunity to repent. To look into their hearts and see their need for change. And to be changed. To be given the power to overcome, to put the deeds of the flesh to death. And to live in victory in the Spirit. Are you different now than you were before? If you're not, I encourage you to be on your knees before God. I encourage you to search yourself. And I don't say these things to put you in a state of panic. I say these things to encourage you that power is available to you. Peace is available to you. God's overwhelming love is there to flow out upon you. Have you answered the call to repentance? I ask you this morning to ask yourself that question honestly and to meditate on that thought. I didn't prepare this with Misty. Uh, I would like her to come up and before we go into the closing song to play just a, a soft song on the piano for a little bit. And I want you to know that the altar is open this morning. And as she plays... I want to invite you, and if you just do it in your seat, that's fine. But if you feel led to come forward to have someone to pray with you, if you feel led to go into one of the side rooms to have one, someone to pray with you, now is your opportunity. Misty, whenever you're ready. Lord, I pray, God, that you would work in the hearts of these individuals this morning. I thank you for the gift and the power to have a changed heart, Lord. God, if you have someone here this morning who is not a different person than they were and they seek to be that different person, that you would give them courage, you would give them boldness, even if they just do it from their seat, Lord. God, open their eyes to that. Open their hearts to the possibility of your love and your grace and your mercy, Father. Lord, we invite them to join us wherever you lead them to, Lord. God, we seek you for this this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen.